0: And early in the morning, he returned to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery when they had put her in the middle. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us to stone such What do you say? They said this, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear them. So when they continued asking him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you, be the first to throw the stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Being convicted by their conscience, those who heard it went out one by one, beginning with the eldest even to the last. Jesus was left alone in the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had stood up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. So we look here to the word of God, and I've read through this passage so many times, and I've I preached from this passage so many times, and my curiosity is always aroused. It's the, it's the curiosity of the ages, 2,000 years of curiosity. And that is this, Lord, what was the intimate message between you and the ground as you knelt down? What was the message, Lord, as you, as you knelt to the ground and you begin to write with your finger upon the ground? How many of you have ever wondered and going to ask the question when you get there? Lord, what did you write that day? But let's back up a little bit and look at the scenario as we step into this scene there in the Word of God. Literal occurrence of what took place that day. Jesus was on the Mount of Olives, and then the next morning, early in the morning, he goes to the temple. Oh, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So he shows up at the temple, and he's there, and he's teaching. The Word is expressing, and he is sharing, and the, and the struck audience were listening to the, to the voice of the Creator as he is articulating the will and the commands of God. As He is there, all of a sudden a commotion takes place. The back door opens, and here, ruthlessly, viciously, there is a woman, potentially could have been half dressed. I don't know if they allowed her the opportunity to grab a, a blanket or a shawl or something, but she is being dragged into the temple area. Right in the midst, could you imagine as Jesus possibly up here standing preaching to to you and I and then all of a sudden the back doors open and here they come dragging a half-dressed woman down and drop her in the middle. So this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. She's a sinner. Moses' law says we should stone her. Jesus, what do you say? Tell us, oh master, tell us, rabbi, tell us what you would say. Jesus stoops down. He begins to write with his finger on the ground. As if not to hear them. Now what also catches my curiosity as I read through this and I have read through this passage multiple times is the proximity of the creator to creation. Jesus stooped down. God the Son clothed himself in human flesh and he stooped down into his creation. And as I read that, I thought, Lord, you came down, Emmanuel, God with us. But as I saw that passage, I just wondered, in my mind's eye, I wondered, Lord, the author and the finisher of our faith, the very God himself is here in the flesh. Did creation that day feel an overwhelming sense of hope as the creator, the author, touches the ground with his finger? Good creation that day felt an overwhelming sense because all of creation has been in travail since the fall of man and it is groaning waiting upon the manifestation of the sons of God in hopes that the master one day will step foot on the mount of all as in his transfiguration and all of heaven and all, I should say, of earth will be regenerated and recreated in that moment. Oh, was there a compulsion of creation that day. Could they sense and feel that maybe there is hope that no longer will we see corruption, but one day there will be creation Could you imagine that finger of God touching the earth as he wrote? Oh, as I looked there, what caught my attention was the finger of God. The finger of God was an expression used to, in the word of God, to express the authority and the creativity of God over all of creation. It's first mentioned in Exodus when there are plagues being poured out upon the Egyptians as judgment. It was the first to recognize were the magicians of that day. They said, oh, Pharaoh, let me tell you what's happening here in our midst. All of these things are happening because it's the finger of God. And then we see how that there was a king sitting in his banquet room in a palace drinking of the stolen goods from the temple of God. Go to the storeroom where we keep all of the treasures we took from Judah and we store them in the place. Go gather up all of the, all of the, the, the wares, if you will, that we took out of the temple of God and bring it in here. I'm going to sip from the Lord Jehovah's cup and I'm going to eat from his plates and I'm going to do this, but all, all of a sudden out of nowhere came a finger. And it begins to write on the wall of that banquet hall. Whew. Your kingdom has been shortened. And you are coming to an end in the book of Daniel. How was that accomplished? By the finger of God. By the finger of the Lord God. Oh, but there came a day where now Moses is on the mount. God carves out two stones we know as those stones became the stationary for the Lord as he etched his law front and back upon those two tablets how did he accomplish that? With his finger the word of God tells us. The finger of God was written there. Then we see in the book of Luke how that he's traveling through and there was a He he, he, he caused the deliverance of an individual who was tormented by a demonic spirit. And he said there in the word of God, Jesus' expression, not mine, Jesus' expression is what he said in his word. He said, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Something intriguing about the finger of the Lord. The psalmist wrote this, Psalms 8 and 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which have been established. The Lord wrote with his finger upon the ground. That finger that brought the plagues to Egypt, that finger that brought the judgment to a perverted king and his kingdom. In fact, the strongest military political party of that day, God wrote upon that wall with his finger. With his finger, he wrote the commands upon those stones and handed them to Moses. And with his finger, he cast out the demonic spirits. As we look at this, what I want you to see is this. When accusations were flowing, God was writing. When the accusers came in and said, She justly and deservedly needs to be stoned. Jesus knelt down at the temple floor and he began to write. We don't know what he wrote, but I imagine it's probably somewhat what he has written thus far in 66 different books. As we see the word of the Lord, I believe in my heart of hearts, he might have written something, maybe a single word, and that single word could have been mercy. Mercy. He stood up and he said, Okay, those of you that are clenching to the stone, ready to throw, you accusers that have no concern for the one that you brought forth, those of you who hold strict to the laws, whose mantra is continually. Saying how much God despises humanity and how irksome their behavior is. The ones who hold the stones ready to be the ones who throw the stones to kill the would-be individuals who have betrayed God's word. You're not warning them on the basis. They were not warning on the basis to see the deliverance of that woman They wanted to stone her. That's why they brought the stones with them. You see that she deserves to be stoned. But as they are bringing the accusation, Jesus is writing with his finger and he stands up and he says this. The first of you who are without stone, without without sin, be the first to cast the stone the eldest that was there. We don't know his age, but how many know the longer you live, the more you realize that you don't have it all together, and that if it wasn't for the grace of God, you wouldn't be here today, and oh, you might say, well, oh, I see that one, and I see what they're doing, but you, you have a long track history of failure behind you. And you know full well that if it wasn't for the grace of God, that you wouldn't have anything that is good and merciful and kind. And you know full well that you don't have anything to say about others because you yourself, is a re- you are a recipient of the grace and the goodness and the mercy of God. And so the eldest is standing there. I don't have anything to say. The older I get in God, the less I find out I know. The closer I get to the Lord, the less I trust myself. The more that I I seek after the Lord, the more that I come to realize that if it wasn't for the mercy of God, I would not have a chance. I was standing there. And he turns and he walks away. The others that possibly could have followed his lead as they devised this plan because it was a setup. Was this woman a prostitute? She was involved in prostitution, possibly. We don't know if she earned any wages as a result of this. We don't know what what her circumstance was. We don't know why she was participating in this this. Could it be she had no other other means and no other resources? We don't know, and we don't justify that today by no means. Could it have been that she was so broken and so heart-wrenched that she could not find comfort in any relationship? So she just went from one relationship to another to another, hoping that she would find some love or some measure of fulfillment. From the eldest to the youngest, they they turned and they walked away. Jesus stood up. He said, Woman, where are the accusers of yours? She said, "There, There are none. And he said, Neither do I condemn you. Go back to your bed, go back to your lifestyle go back to that self-destructive behavior that you've been involved in. No, he said, go and sin no more. This is the reality that I've come into. I have discovered that the woman deserved to be stoned, but so did the eldest that walked in with his stone, all the way to the youngest I don't know in that moment, and I will not speak for the Lord, but I venture to guess that the Lord Jesus, whose mode and his desire was for everyone from a Pharisee all the way down to a Sadducee all the way down to a sinner caught in the midst of sin. It was the will of God that every person come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We all deserve to be stoned because we have sinned and we were born into a world where our nature is sinful and the only hope that we have to rectify the situation was one that we could not offer. It was only one that was really had the right to judge, was not judging. But instead, he said, go sin no more. And when the Lord said, go sin no more with that, he also was looking to the day where his sacrifice would be made and he would afford that woman the ability not to sin anymore. Now, what's interesting to me as I look at this, how many believe today that we are the temple of the Lord according to the word of God? We are the holy habitation in which God desires to rest and to occupy and to dwell inside of us. There was some typology in the word of God, the tabernacle, which is a temporary dwelling place for the Lord. And one day there would be the temple in Jerusalem, a more permanent occupation. But the the tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple in Jerusalem was only a foreshadowing of what God ultimately wanted to do, and that was to enter into the heart of every individual and for every individual to become the habitation of the Lord. It's a beautiful thing, is it not? And so (laughs) for... You ever get started and you trip? (laughs) Trip over your own tongue? For 1,500 years, God... The priest, every year, would show this repetitive thing that took place. Sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. Ultimately pointing to the end-all sacrifice, which would be Jesus Christ. Leviticus 4 tells us that if there was an offering for sin that was made for an individual for a ruler, for a nation, for a priest, at once the sin offering was made, that the priest would dip his finger in the blood. Depending upon the sin of the person, he would sprinkle that blood in the temple. But what's more intriguing to me is that on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter into the temple entirely alone. There would be five animals that would be used in this Day of Atonement. And in this Day of Atonement, the first animal that was sacrificed was the bull he would sacrifice for the sins of the high priest he would sacrifice and he would gather the blood once he gathered the blood he would enter in to the holy place the sanctuary he would then begin to put incense on the incense altar and the cloud would begin to lift all the way through but just underneath the veil the priest would take a censer filled with incense with the coal that he had taken from off the brazen altar with the blood and as the poles stood out from the ark of the covenant lifting up giving him access he would get down and he would crawl through and crawl under He would come up on the other side, but he waited until the cloud filled the entire holies of holies. And Then the Bible tells us in Leviticus 16, he would take his finger, and he would dip it in the blood, and he would cast his finger toward the mercy seat seven times that he would crawl back out, and he would gather. He had already cast lots for two goats. One would be the scapegoat, and the other would be the sacrifice for the nation's sins. He would slay that goat. He would gather that blood. He would feel that uh, censer again. And he would crawl back the same method and he would get down upon his knees and he would allow the smoke to fill up that area of the holies of holies. And then he would crawl through and as he stood up, he would take his finger and he would put it in the blood and he he would throw that toward the mercy seat. go out and confess the sins over the other goat and he would run that out into the wilderness never to be seen again. At the end of the Day of the Atonement he would offer two burnt offerings for both himself and for the nation. But what's interesting to me he entered that temple entirely alone and he would start from the inmost chamber and he would work his way out. But he would do it with the blood of the sacrifice. Jesus, on Calvary 2,000 years ago, he didn't have to make multiple trips because first and foremost, he he didn't need a sacrifice for himself because he was sinless. But what he did do was a sacrifice, not just for the nation of Israel, but for all nations and all generations throughout all eternity. So that one day, the one true judge who stooped down would one day look for a stationery, a parchment, a medium in which he could write. It was not upon the banquet halls of a king's corridor. It wasn't upon cold dead stones that he etched out of a mount of Sinai. Nor was it on the temple floor of that great building in Jerusalem. But God's desire... Was to dip his own finger in his own blood and write the very laws of God upon the heart of humanity that one day they may understand the promise that he made to Israel is the promise he makes to all of them that one day he will write his laws upon their mind and upon their heart and you won't have to teach the elders to know him you don't have to teach the younger to know him because everyone shall know him everyone shall know him if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are living in the most dangerous place possible. It's more dangerous than corona. It is more dangerous than a, than a nuclear disaster. It is more dangerous to you today than any threat of any attack, whether disease or individuals. But God, with his finger. I believe, wrote mercy that day. I believe the Lord Jesus has stooped down into this room yet again. With his blood soaked finger, he wants to write his will within your heart and your nature to be changed for all of eternity to redeem you. The reason why the Day of Atonement had to be repeated year after year after year is because the blood of bulls and goats, nothing on creation could ever save you and I from the damnation that we deserve. There's not a single individual in this place today who could earn or work or or do anything to earn the right of salvation. It's time the church drops the stones and starts reaching for the hand of God and say, Lord, we need your mercy. The Pharisees, the scribes, that day, were they in the right? Absolutely not. Was she in the right? Absolutely not. He was caught in the act. Of adultery. She was sleeping with a married man. She was destroying families. It's time that, that we stop making heroes and heroines out of the individuals caught in the sin and start looking at it through its the reality of eternity. We all deserve judgment, but God has afforded to you and I mercy that we may go and sin no more we may further his kingdom. Woman, where are your accusers? There are none. Neither do I condemn you. What was he saying? He was saying, woman, your sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. The slate is clean. You at this moment, have been purified by the blood of the Lamb. He had the right to say that because he's the only one who had the right to judge. He had the right to say that because it would be his blood that he cleansed the temple the Lord said, I will meet with you above the mercy seat that contained the commands that he gave to Moses that he wrote with his own finger. I'm going to put those in that Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to put what one may would be, represent Jesus himself and that would be the manna that fell from heaven. I will put those in that Ark and I will put Aaron's rod because there's only one priest that has the right to enter into that place. That Ark of the Covenant represented Jesus, but what we also see is that when God looks down from heaven, God the Father, and He looks to the law, what He sees is the blood. When He looks to the priesthood, what He sees is the blood. When He looks to the bread of life, what He sees is the blood of Jesus Christ. When God looks at us, what does He see? He sees the blood. There will be two categories of people and two alone at the end of the age. Those who've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and their nature has been altered by the altar of God. They are not who they were. They are new creatures in Christ all things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. They are not the self destructive individuals they started out as. Not destroying families and throwing rocks at others. They're not trying to work their way into the kingdom of God, they're not trying to be the beneficiary of good works. And there'll be those that have worked their whole life and not enter into the kingdom of God. That they thought their goodness was enough. There'll be those that still throw rocks at the church. Say the rocks are full of hypocrites. See, you're hypocritical in that statement. Because what you're saying is I know how it should be done better but you're not doing it. Is that not hypocritical? Don't judge me. Well, haven't you already judged the church? The Bible says the accuser of the brethren is the devil. There's one thing with pleading with a person whose situation is such that their life is in danger of hellfire. There's something else entirely at play when we want to build ourselves up by diminishing others, blinded to our sin as we are wide open, wide-eyed open, wide open to other sins. We're wanting to do eye surgery with a speck in the eye of someone while this beam is sticking out of our own eye. Here, let me get that for you. You went to an eye doctor, which Grace Lyons had to do this week. Grace, if you'd have walked into your eye doctor and he had this big beaming pole stuck out of his eye, I said, let me take a look. Let me get that for you. She had got up and walked out and went to another diet doctor. <laughs> what I'm saying to you today is this. Two categories of people. One who had been born again, blood-bought. They didn't do it by their own works, their own merit. They didn't do anything good enough to earn it. They just received Jesus Christ as Savior and said, oh God, thank you for dipping your finger in that blood and writing upon the temple of this heart. And those who said, I'll make it on my own, or religion is phony, God's not real. I enjoy my sin. I will stay where I'm at. There's no consequences to my actions. I refuse to accept that sacrifice. The most real words you'll ever hear today for all eternity is that you will stand before an almighty God, either redeemed and bought and purchased by his blood or separated eternally from what he has provided. Let me say to you today, Jesus Christ's declaration over you is your sins are forgiven but you must accept that sacrifice receive it for yourself they'll be the recipients and those who have rejected in eternity you might not know maybe it's your first time here or you don't attend here regularly I was the rankest of sinners I destroyed myself and destroyed others through my through my self-destructive behavior. But there came a day where I said, Lord, right on my heart, I realized Jesus stooped down from me and did what he didn't have to do. And I said, oh God, I surrender to your lordship somebody was praying and conviction came over me and I didn't want to continue the insanity of destruction in my life and I said oh God save me, save me, save me Lord save me from sin, save me from Satan, save me from myself, God save me, I surrender you are Lord, I'm not Lord, I can't do this, I'll just destroy everything, God you are Lord, come into my heart I believe in your sacrifice is enough. Please save me. God entered my heart and I'm not who I was. Self died but Jesus came alive. This is the proof of a born again experience. If God is born in you Jesus will be formed in you. It comes with confession. It comes with God, I am a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. But you must be born again. You must be born in this natural world, but you must be born of the Spirit. And if you cannot find a day, a moment where you have surrendered and said, Oh God, I want you to be my Savior, and you have not experienced a transformation, you are falling woefully short of what God has for you. Because when he is in your heart... It's not that the enemy won't tempt you. It's not that you may not be drawn by your flesh. But then the core of who you are is the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is always yearning for the Father. And He will not let you continue on that path of convenient sin. He will say to you, I have more. This is not what I made you for. I did not die for your sin to leave you in your sin. I have come to deliver you. Be born again. (laughs) Worship team, make your way up.